like to see civilization moving upward the way it's doing. Thank God. It's kind of heartwarming. I just got a note here and said that uh, there's a New Jersey school now that has a media director. So kind of nice. Media director. It's a New Jersey high school, by the way. And the uh, same school has a, uh, a director of athletic coordination and activities. It's kind of, you know, kind of groovy. You remember when they used to have gym teachers? Remember that? <laughs> all they had was a gym teacher and a coach. And uh, that was all. all of them. Now, of course, uh, the title uh, syndrome is proliferating. You realize that the janitor in most schools now is called uh, Waste Material Conveyance Director. And he's a full member of the faculty. Sits around there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Of course, the things are moving uh, upwards and onwards. And tonight, uh, you don't mind tonight if I let it... Uh, I need to use a gauche expression there. You don't know what gauche is? That's those uh, Mexican shoes. And you get a pair of gauchos. Of course, that's the uh, slang. It's, uh, it's really gauche, gauche. Uh, but uh, I don't want to uh, offend any uh, people here tonight. Actually, I do, personally. But uh, uh, people today are getting uh, less offendable than they ever were, which I think either is a testimony to man's uh, ability to hang in or that the barbs are getting uh, less uh, sharp and cutting, if possibly be. But uh, tonight, I have a very interesting uh, thing to report on the artistic uh, side of uh, life. Would you please uh, set up... Uh, no, no, not the... Not the uh, I think we're going to change the order, Bill, please. I think we will salute uh, the one of the great artistic movements of our time with uh, the second record which I assign to you. Please? Uh, as you know, we're a student of slob art of all types here. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I kind of like it, uh, I think uh, I think there's a certain vitality in the slob world, which uh, we don't find in the other more faith worlds. And while you're in there working on that thing, there, Bill, please, I'll uh, lay a little commercial on you here because part of part and parcel of the slob world is they love commercials. I'll tell you uh, the excitement, the roses that come in the cheeks of a true member of our society when a commercial comes on is only matched by the coming of spring in Greenland. And I would like to. Uh, uh, lay one here on you. Here we have Wolf's Kasha tonight. Now, for those of you who don't know what Kasha is, they're little kernels of roasted buckwheat groats. Now, you know what the groat is. It's a small, furry animal that feeds on on largely grass. It's herbivorous. And I think you'll find it very exciting to lay into a bowl of buckwheat groats. Now, uh, Kasha is uh, generally, for those who know it, is spelled Wolf's. W-O-L-F-F-S. It's an ancient food. If you'd like to go back in time, uh, <laughs> enjoy the same kind of stuff that Og and Charlie did when they crawled out of the antediluvian mud and sat in the cave. They started right out eating groats. And uh, we would like to suggest you try it. Wolves. Wolves. And by the way, they have a do not cry wolf too loudly, uh, nor too often, because they may lay something else on you. If you cry wolf too often, you're liable to wind up with Rice Krispies. So I would suggest that you... <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> it's spelled with two F's in this case, though, so it's okay. And uh, you write uh, to us here. It says us, us. I don't know who the hell that is, but you write to us here at this radio station and ask for the Wolf's Kasha cookbook. And uh, they, they give you a lot of information. You must be over 21 and a guaranteed art student, however, to get this. And come in a brown wrapper. 
Food, passion, home. Three subjects that interest just about everybody. Three subjects that are featured every week in Sunday Newsday's L.I. Magazine. Three subjects that make up L.I.'s popular living section. Yes, every Sunday in beautiful color, L.I. Magazine offers articles on food, fashion, and the home. Articles that are geared to the special interests of Long Islanders. This Sunday, you'll find a mouth-watering word and picture guide to cheese from around the world. In fashion, you'll get step-by-step directions on how to give haircuts in your own home. And speaking of home, wait till you see the picture of a home on Long Island painted pink, red, lavender, yellow, peach, and a few other colors. Elsewhere in Sunday Newsday, you'll find a special supplement devoted to the Long Island business outlook. This Sunday, see why Newsday is Long Island's own Sunday newspaper. In the current issue of TV Guide magazine, as television prepares to broadcast the epic film Lawrence of Arabia, Lowell Thomas provides his personal recollections of the life and times of T.E. Lawrence. In the same issue... Sports writer Melvin Derslag zeroes in on the NBA's tiny giants, the small men under six feet two who are surviving in a big man's game. TV Guide's cover story profiles Michael Antkeen of the Rookies. A few years ago, he had a chance to chase a puck for the New York Rangers. Instead, he chose to chase bad guys as one of the rookies. Michael Antkeen, featured this week in TV Guide. America's biggest selling weekly magazine, TV Guide, on sale everywhere. All right, now, would you please uh, prepare my thing there? We're going to salute tonight's, uh, tonight's movement forward in the great, uh, in the great world. It's, mo- it's a worldwide thing now, the world movement towards true slob art. Bring it on there, Bill. Yeah, the bear, Mr. Train. God, I sing great, you know. The bear, Mr. Train. Oh, the bear, Mr. Train. Oh, the bear, Mr. Train, and now he's walking. Yeah. Oh, the bear, Mr. Train. Oh, the bear, Mr. Train. Oh, the bear, Mr. Train, and now he's walking. The bear missed the train. Oh, the bear missed the train, and now he's walking. All right, have a little here. So what I was uh, we'll put the other one up there, please, Bill. <clears throat> yeah, I thought I was going to cut that out this year. No, I tell you, all my all my resolutions are going to hell in a handbasket, just like that. But uh, what I did uh, what I did note here 
Hey, did you hear about this late, the latest fantastic artistic uh, attempt? Now, it's not yet completed, but there was a little news note. I, I've over, always felt that the... Uh, no, 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 Bill. No, no. See, you've gone all the way. You've screwed it all up again. The one you removed, I would like to have again. That's right. Replace the original one. No, no, don't try to see. You, you show, you show a, a, the tendency which I deplore in our time, and that is refusal to ever accept the fact that you have booted one. Nobody ever does that. <laughs> it's always due to forces over which one has no control that one was forced to boot another one. Well, you got it up there? Set up. Go wait till you get that uh, cued in there. Very good. You see that we have vast technical resources at our command. Namely, Bill sitting in there squatting on his Allied catalog. And, uh, well, he has vast... You'd be surprised at the talent that's locked in his head. It's hard as hell to get it out, but he's got it locked in there. And one day, we're going to get it all, Bill. God, we're going to give you a soldering iron and uh, let you go to work here. Incidentally, uh, <laughs> speaking of artistic achievements... I have to salute this tonight, uh, for those of you who like to keep up with the art world. An English artist who calls himself a conceptual artist, which, uh, you know, that's kind of a contradiction. In, in, a, in, a, in a way, it's really not a contradiction. It's a, it's a redundant uh, conceptual artist. All artists are supposed to have concepts, aren't they? I mean, I, 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 maybe I've been wrong all this time, but he calls himself a conceptual artist. And uh, anybody calls himself that right away, by the way, I'm, I'm a little worried about at this point. I've been, you know, taken a large grain of salt. But anyway, he is now hard at work out near Wyoming someplace in that area. You know, there's a lot, of, a lot of wide open spaces. And what is he doing? Well, he is creating a gigantic letter, an enormous letter. I mean, you know, piling up rocks and stuff. And it's a tremendous letter. I mean, it's a letter like like 25 miles across. And what he is doing, he's putting a different letter on five continents. <laughs> that for a grandiose scheme. He's putting five letters on five different continents. And they're enormous letters. They're like 30 or 25 or 30 miles across. These aren't, you know, it takes them like two years to make one letter. And he's making these fantastic letters. And uh, what is it going to spell? Well, he's, he's, he's spelling out the five letters. What do you think he would be spelling? Well, now this is what I say is going to become a, a, a... In the end, probably a thousand years from now, he's going to be probably the only artist that will be remembered from our time. For all time. He's spelling Earth. In other words, he's labeling the earth. He put the label on the earth. <laughs> well, you've seen cartoons, haven't you? little round ball that says Mars on it. Well, this guy, <laughs> he's putting earth on five. Each letter is on a different continent, see? So that if, if you're really far away, see, so, uh, like if you're in Mars or Venus, there it is. You No question about what you're looking at. It says earth right on it. And uh, this brings up a, you know, pretty, you know, it's, it's a, all kinds of ramifications. I can see far out in the Milky Way, 700 billion miles from Earth, 42 light years removed. 
from our solar system. Two scientists are working the controls of a gigantic, enormous electronic solar telescope. Oh, that's great. I love that. My God, what a way to come into a room. Can't you imagine this music playing every time you come in the room? You just walk through, you know, you cut the electromagnetic beam and it's... Big Fred has arrived. (laughs) Oh, that's what I like. A lot of timpanies. Just beat the hell out of those cattle. Wait till you hear this one now. Here's where he gives it to... systems beyond all comprehension of time and space. Focus on a tiny dot. One turns to the other and says, please turn up the, please turn up the gain. Turn up the contrast. You know, when you're working these big electronic microscopes, you just don't, you know, point it out the window and look. It's very, very difficult to do. They have a staff of thousands of them. No, no, don't take that off. You're so damn eager tonight. What is it with you? You know, it, reset that in there. Cue it up again. And uh, and uh, just just get ready to play it again, Bill. You, you know, some nights you're, you're four, four or five cues behind, and other nights you're four or five cues ahead. You know, he's well into the Barry Farber show already, you know? And uh, <laughs> so you can't get an eight-hour programming a trick here done in, say, two and a half hours? There's no way. You're just going to have to stick with us. This is WOR New York. If you're wondering where all this lousing up is going on, it's us. That's right. Don't blame it on NBC. Blame it on us. All right? <laughs> well, uh, you know, this this is going to bring up some, some really interesting comments, though, from people in other solar systems. It, it's got to. You know, I'll tell you this. Has it ever occurred to you that how the hell do we know that Mars is Mars? I mean, you know, I mean, we got no message from them telling it's Mars and, uh, or Saturn or Venus. It may be something entirely different. And uh, can you imagine one day uh, <laughs> our, our, our space probe is whistling past Pluto and it says Fred on the side of it. And, uh, and uh, you know, it comes all the way back and, and uh, I can see John Chancellor and all those very important guys say the strange message has come back. And uh, they've just taken the picture. It says Fred on the side of Pluto, and uh, it says uh, we're trying to de- trying to figure out what this means. Well, it's obvious. The name of the place is Fred, and uh, in our case, the idea of it says Earth on the side of it kind of adds something. Can you imagine? Hey, wouldn't it be great if in Mars Earth was an obscene word? And uh, <laughs> yeah, but it could be. You know, you know what they say how they talk there. And uh, they they focus it in, and one of them stop. They say, take the younger astronomers into the next room. My God, you have no idea what this one is saying. And uh, the concept that it says Earth on it, it adds a whole new dimension. In fact, uh, has it occurred to you that, speaking of art, has it occurred to you that the only art form that we're going to leave behind are the turnpikes? No, they are. If you if you've ever looked at a turnpike from 
from, uh, say, 1,000 feet or 2,000 feet, if you do a great deal of flying in the private aircraft type, uh, you see a whole different world than you see when you're driving along the Jersey Turnpike. And I can tell you this as a pilot, that the, that the, that the turnpikes are, in some cases, the most beautiful thing down there. <laughs> I hate to tell you this. And, and that, that brings up another point, too. You know these, uh, these canals of Mars that they keep talking about? Well, of course, it turns out they're not canals at all. Uh, you've probably been uh, staying up with that. I'm sure you have. But uh, they are not canals. Uh, they they just are sort of shadows that, that nobody quite uh, could uh, could figure out what they were until they sent these uh, probes past and it turns out they were shadows. Well now now has it occurred to you that and it has me many times flying over over the uh, terrain, especially in in the eastern areas, you, and and that's also true of the far west. Flying over the east and the far west, the most spectacular element of our landscape are the turnpikes, especially at night. It's fantastic at night. Great, great long lines of headlights, and uh, especially in the summertime. Now, that could bring up some fantastic concepts of what our, what our globe is like to a guy sitting, say, 42 light years away. It, uh, it's very easy to see him do this, you know. Here, I can see these two guys... Now they focused on this thing. See, over five years they have they have deciphered that this that this globe says Earth, and now they're focusing in on it. They figured there must be something there, and uh, they've been working on design of telescopes. And now their telescope can produce an image three times greater than their famous Earth telescope, the one that spotted the five magic letters Earth. They have it turned on. Dr. Mowgli is peering through the eyepiece. And he says, Great Scott, Hawk. That planet is populated by incredibly huge, enormous, glowing worms. Glowing worms! Great Scott! This is probably one of the most epical discoveries ever in the history of astronomy. They're level to attack us. Gigantic electronic glowing worms. And he's looking at the Jersey Turnpike with a, you know, a typical Sunday evening a traffic situation. <laughs> Thank you, Bill. That was good. No, can you, can you see that, though? And 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 uh, it, it does look like giant, uh, sprawling, sneaky worms when you're at that, uh, even at 8,000 feet. But if you're 17 light years away and uh, you're looking down at the Long Island Expressway on a Sunday night, I mean, it could conceivably look like a, a large, moving, glowing worm crawling infinitely... Painfully and slowly over the surface of the earth. Now that's how long. How long a traffic jam do you think we have on, say, a good night here? What would you guess? Say out on the, the coast, Bill, or or, or uh, what would you say, Jerry? How 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 long would you say in miles? I mean, a really goodie. Say it's July fourth and it's a hundred and three, right? And every Jersey klutz has gotten into his car and said, "Let's go to the shore, huh?" How long? Five miles? Six? 
15? Yeah, that's pretty good. Well, 15 miles can be seen a hell of a long distance. Did you know that, that our probe going past Mars, they said that they can spot something that's roughly 300 yards across? I mean, they, they, can, they, can, uh, they can see that size, see, 300 yards across. Well, if you can see something 300 yards across, you sure as hell couldn't miss a, a, a Jersey Turnpike typical Sunday night traffic jam. <laughs> hey, you know, what would we do? Now, that's a good question. You know, we, we're, we're doing all this stuff all the time, sending these probes out, you know, all the time. And uh, they go whistling right by. You know, they go whistling past Venus. Now, if there's a guy sitting in Venus, you know, and he's, he's uh, at the beach or something, all of a sudden this thing whistles by, taking pictures of him, it would cause a little confusion, uh, uh, certainly a little concern. I just wonder what we would react, how we would react. You ever thought how we would react? You know, I think secretly, if I may, uh, if I may get the philosophical here at this point, I think secretly, all of us secretly believe that we're the only ones in the solar system. Now wait a minute. Now, now listen to me out, Bill. Um, there's another side of our head that says, yeah, there has to be other people. In other words, we, we're 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 constantly torn between these two things, and and. Uh, and everybody who says, "Yeah, I think, I think, uh, I think uh, there's a life on other planets. There's a there's civilized life." On the other hand, he would refuse to accept it if it actually was true. See what I'm saying? I'm saying there are certain ideas that you can accept intellectually, but emotionally, they uh, <laughs> they give you problems. Uh, I mean, it's like accepting the fact that your uncle Fred is an axe murderer. Have you have you ever noticed that no matter what whoever you see interviewed on the on the air, who who knew this uh, mad slayer that killed forty seven, with his uh, Thompson submachine gun, uh, they always say, well I I don't believe he done it. No no I knew him I knew him when I was a kid, and uh, nah that's that's a frame up. He never done it. No 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 Clarence he was not capable. He was one of the nicest guys in the neighborhood. He's a quiet guy. He used to come and go. Never bothered nobody. And then Gay Pressman says, and madam, uh, what, are, what are your remembrances of Mad Dog Clubinger? She says, well, I, I can only say that I cannot, I cannot believe that uh, well, he was in my Sunday school class, and I know definitely that he did not commit those 47 murders. Now, you, you know this is all the time. It's cause, see, that's because nobody can accept the fact. A murderer is something you see in the newspaper. I mean, it's, it's an abstraction. But if it turns out to be your aunt uh, Clara, then I mean, you know, <laughs> I mean, no way. And, and so this is this is one of the great problems of, of you know the ability to accept something that is intellectually acceptable, but emotionally not. Now you just say, yeah, I can accept the fact there's uh, there's uh, people out there. Okay, you think you can, all right? So one day you're you're fooling around the backyard, Bill. You got your power lawnmower on, you know, and and. Uh, and uh, there, uh, you know, you got the barbecue going and all that stuff. See, we assume it's summertime. When all of a sudden, something goes by, see? You look up and say, what the hell is that? And uh, that damn police helicopter over here again. Get out of here! Fine, speak! It goes past again. And and it's a, it's a, a little round thing, and it's it, you can hear the shutters are going like hell. See, it's taking pictures. And on the side, it says Venus. <laughs> it says Venus Earth Probe. Uh, it says Earth Probe, Venus 4. And it goes, and off it goes. 
Well, now, I'm not so sure that, that, that uh, but, but what this would be accepted with equanimity. Can you imagine the religious connotation, right, for starters? Especially if you could see a couple of these looking out of the window, see, and they appear to look like dachshunds. Uh, or or something that it, that shouldn't it shouldn't be what it is. See, the 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 concept is is uh, is the difficulty of of actually accepting the fact that you're involved in something which has up to this point been hypothetical is not easy to it's not easy to make that jump. And and I'll give you an example of this. Now let's get back to flying. See, I'm a pilot. You know, one of the great interesting experiences that a man can have in the 20th century, and it is a 20th century experience because obviously it couldn't have happened prior to this time, is to solo an airplane. To actually solo an airplane. Do you buy that? All right. Now, what makes it interesting? Among other things, uh, all of us think of flying as a thing which we do as a passenger. You agree. You think of flying... Uh, taking a plane to uh, Chicago. Uh, flying is something... You see a plane go over, and it's uh, it's something that uh, is somehow other people are... You don't even think of them as people. They're pilots uh, are involved in. And so you see this going along or on, flying over your head. You, all your life you've seen airplanes. Well, then one day you decide to go down and take lessons in this thing. And even then, you're still a passenger, even while you're studying it. Uh, your 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 instructor is always sitting next to you. Either he's on the right hand seat or he's in the left hand seat, but he's there. He's a real pilot, and you're just sitting in there, and uh, he's telling you these things. And then you start doing it. It's still at the same time. He's there all the time. You know this. It's a very secret uh, knowledge of the fact he's always there with you. And uh, even though you may land the airplane, you may take it off, you may fly it around the patch, you still know that there's that there's somebody in charge and it ain't you. <laughs> there's this guy sitting there next to you and he's got these green sunglasses and he keeps saying things like, come on, I watch your airspeed now. Come on, watch that. Look at that ball there. Come on now. I guess let's coordinate them turns. And uh, he's, he's really in, in charge. Well, then one day you, you, you do this, you go around the patch and he's sitting there next to you. This is the way it's done. See, he lands the airplane. You come down. Usually you land it. And he's sitting there. He says, oh, come on, come on, get that nose up. Come on now, let's, let's kill that airspeed. Get the nose up there. I want a full stall this time. And you land it and you start taxing out. And he suddenly flips the latch on the door and he gets out of the airplane. He says, uh, all right, he says, uh, you're, you're taking it around. He said, I'll see you in about ten minutes. You say, what? He says, well, I'm, I'm getting out. I'll see you in about ten minutes. I want you to make three trips around the patch. And I want you to watch your airspeed, okay? You're a little sloppy on that. And he's gone. You see him trudging off. Now, you can't jump out of the plane and say, wait, hey, wait. Although this has been done. Uh, I knew one guy that leaped out of the plane, and the, the instructor is walking away, and he says, hey, wait, wait. And the, the instructor turns around and says, what do you want? And the guy was in such panic-stricken shock he says, uh, I can't fly it. I don't know how to do it. I don't remember. And uh, at that point, the instructor says, well, he says, uh, I'm going into the house. I'm going into the administration building. Whatever you do is up to you. So this guy says, okay, I'll do that. 
and he just followed him into the administration building, got his hat and coat, got into his car, drove home, and never came back. Now, <laughs> that's, that's one adjustment to that situation. Now, you see, up to that point, he had never thought that, uh, that he would actually be flying an airplane, it, 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 although intellectually he did. See what I'm saying, Bill? You're being very smart about what you do if those Venusians flew past your, your uh, barbecue pit, you know, because you know they won't. All right, yes, you do. All right, there you go. You know, he really thinks he'd be very cool. I, I, you know, no way. I mean, <laughs> I just don't buy it, Bill. And that's why I, I think a lot of bad TV drama is done, because people don't show the proper emotions on them. Rarely does anyone show the kind of emotion he would show in the situation, uh, if it were in real life, that is shown. For example, how many times have you seen people get shot, and it doesn't seem to bother them? Uh, he's walking around holding his arm, you know. Uh, at no point is he in a state of shock. And, and the, the people who are watching don't seem to flip either. You know, uh, his wife sees him get shot in the shoulder. Have you ever seen a guy get shot? All right. You know that it wasn't very much like you saw on, uh, on, uh, on say, uh, uh, well, name anyone, any Vince Edwards uh, ep epic. <laughs> I mean... Any, uh, like Cannon, uh, you know, they, they take it so easily. Like Cannon the other day, a guy threw a harpoon through his arm. Did you see that one? Yeah, a, a harpoon right through his arm. And, and there it is, it stuck right through him, a fish harpoon. And he's, oh, oh, he grabbed his arm. See, this is, uh, you know, realistic drama. Oh, and at that point, he goes and he beats the guy that was doing that did it. Which was quite a trick, since the guy must have been at least 25 years younger than he was. And he, 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 he clubbed him into submission. And then at that point, he says, all right, now get the wire cutters. We want to cut this thing right out of my arm. And so they cut the wire cutters, and they, it went right through. He says, I'm going to pull it right through. In other words, the spear went right, right through his shoulder. And five minutes later, he's running around. He doesn't even have his arm in a sling or anything. You saw that? Well, that's, uh, that's why people who watch TV dramas have no concept of what violence was really like. And when they really see it, they almost go out of their birds. Because, you know, they're, they're, there is a belief in America, or anybody, not America, a anywhere where people are movie-oriented, that if you got shot in the shoulder, you're okay. That's the old, you know, the old famous shoulder wound that Kirk Douglas was always getting. And, uh, you know, Alan Ladd must have got shot in the shoulder maybe two or three hundred times. Never stopped him. Well, the next time you see somebody actually get shot in the shoulder... With, uh, with the kind of uh, artillery that you see on TV. They're not 22s they're shooting. Usually the guy's got, it looks like at least a police 38 special, or sometimes even, one day I saw a guy get shot with a 44 Magnum. Well, uh, <laughs> all I can say is that a 44 Magnum uh, fired from 25 feet will blow a hole maybe six or seven feet across in your average brick wall. I mean, this is a lot of artillery. You agree, Bill? But the guy got up and he came after him. You know, because I, I knew he was going to make it because he was only shot in the shoulder. I, no problem there. And so uh, so <laughs> the problem of, of flying is very similar. And as, as a guy who has soloed at one time, when I because you can only solo once. I mean, once you've soloed, you've soloed. Uh, after that, uh, you know, you're a flyer. There's no way you can you keep flying solo, but to solo as a as a, uh, you know, to fly your solo flight is not the same as flying solo. Uh, but to that, that first moment when the plane is rolling down the runway, you know, it's gathering speed, 
and you've got a firewall. You, you, you've got your throttle pushed all the way in, and you feel it getting lighter and lighter, and you see the airspeed creeping up past, uh, you know, it's 50, uh, now it's 55, now it's 60, and you know you lift off at 64. This, in this case, by the way, was a, was a Cherokee 140, and now you're at 64, and you slowly ease the yoke back, and suddenly you're up. Well, ain't no turning around. In fact, <laughs> in fact, that that moment of, of of stark realization that you are involved in a situation that you have brought about, and at the same time you've thought a great deal about before this, <laughs> and now it is inevitable. You are going to carry it through. There is no way for you to suddenly jump out on the wing of a plane and say, "Hey, you guys, this is ridiculous." No way. It's uh, <laughs> you just you're they're there. See, so you just go around. And, and, and did I tell you about one one story of the speaking great solo flights of uh, of one guy that uh, that uh, soloed? In fact, he soloed out of a field in Jersey, and he took off, and he got scared. He's he's up there now, see. But instead of saying I'm going to get this damn thing down because I'm up now, now the thing is to get it down. Uh, he took off, and he's up in the air. See, he's circling around up there. Now he's up at about 1,000 feet, which was the the, uh, the altitude that he was supposed to fly at. And they're on the ground, of course, the, the instructor and all the other guys. They're up there, you know, watching the scene up there, and, and he's, he's flying around. And he's not coming down, obviously. He, instead of him making the big circle around the field in the patch, what they call in the pattern, and then he comes in and he makes his final and he, he lays it in there. Uh, he doesn't do that. He just keeps circling around. So they rush in and they go on the radio. Unicom saying, ah, uh, six, uh, N6973 Cherokee, uh, Delta. Uh, uh, 73 Delta. Come in. No answer. The guy's so, so, you know, he's, he's, he's flipped his wig so much that he, you know, he's, he's just up there hanging on. So, and he's not got anything turned on. The radio's not turned on. Nothing. They can't get to him. So the plane is going, well, they know that he can just do that a certain number of hours. He's going to come down. You know, this thing, is, he's not suspended forever like a fly in amber. So with that, they're running around, they're waving, you know, they're waving stuff at him. No way. He just, obviously, this guy's in there so so terrified, he's just watching all those. He can't even see the gauges, see, at this point. So he's flying around, and at that point, one of the instructors runs out, and he gets in an airplane, he takes off, and he flies next to this guy, see. And and he, he looks in the plane, and the guy's sitting there, uh, absolutely, his face is like, like made out of cream of wheat. And he's clinging to the to the yoke. He can see him in there. See, so he doesn't even see the plane, the other plane, which is laying right off of his right wing. He's about, so at that, the instructor gets a little worried. So he's not going to be too close to this plane. So he drifts off a little bit, and he's watching. And they're trying to figure out what the hell to do. So he just keeps going around and around and around. And finally, they, they figure, well, there's not much we can do because he's not looking out of the plane. Apparently, he's in a state of shock or something. So with that... They just, and incidentally, this guy had had about seven months of training, so it's not that he's not trained. He is trained. But the realization of doing something by himself, get him. That's what happens. Have you ever had a moment of sheer panic when everything in your, in your head went? Have you ever looked at an exam question and you've been studying for years and all of a sudden, I, I, I never heard of this stuff before. What the hell is this? You know, what's a, what's a, gee, what's a carbon compound? You know, and, and, and the guy, it's a shock. So with that, the, 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 uh, the instructor landed the airplane, his airplane. He says, well, we just better wait till he comes down. He just keeps going around. 
Well, now it's starting to get dark. Well, you know, this, this adds a little excitement to this situation. Well, he makes a big turn. They're watching him. Everybody's out there. By now, the, every instructor and all the students are all out there watching this. You know, they're going to... They don't know what the hell to do. And, there's, you know, guys are showing up with the with the stretchers and helicopters and <laughs> everything else. Well, at that point, he makes a big turn, and suddenly he comes into he comes into his approach. He comes right into a perfect approach, and they're watching. He's coming in. So it's a, he's, he's, he's fine. He's coming to approach. He comes right over the numbers, which is a perfect classical landing. He brings the nose up. And he lands that baby, you know, like he's been doing it a thousand years. He rolls out about, you know, 500 feet. He turns off. With that, everybody rushes out there. See, and the instructor says, what happened, George? Oh, my God, you got dumped. And he gets out and he says, what's the matter? He says, what's, what's, what's the matter with you guys? And I said, what do you mean, what's the matter? You've been up there three and a half hours. The plane is almost out of gas. What are you doing? What are you trying to do to us? He says, what do you mean I've been up three and a half? I only went around once. And it, it, it was obvious to all these guys that he was not kidding. Apparently, his head had turned off. <laughs> and as far as he's concerned, he went around once. He just absolutely made one. And then, of course, when he came into his, his pattern uh, approach, it was perfect. And he did his approach. He landed perfectly. He'd just gone around once. Well, everybody stood there, you know, they didn't know what to say. The helicopters, the, the guys with the with the uh, ambulances with the red lights on the top, you know, they're all standing around kind of silly. And he says, hey, you know, that was pretty good. I'm going to go around again. And uh, at that, the instructor said, wait a minute, no, wait a minute, no. He says, no, he said, I'm, I'm being fine. Which, at that point, after all, he's soloed, he's done it. He didn't say, you know. So at that, off he goes. He completes his next two, four, absolutely perfectly. He makes two trips around the patch, lands. Another trip around the patch, lands. And has never had trouble since. And incidentally, he's a better than average pilot. Now, <laughs> now all I got to say is that that moment of realization is something that uh, that quite often transcends what you think it's going to be, and your reaction to it is different than you think it's going to be. In fact, there was an old there's an old army slogan that says, "You never know. No way can you tell what a guy's going to be like under combat until he's getting shot at." Now he can tell you beforehand. Oh, he's, what are you talking about? I, you know, I know all about this. I've been, you know, 87 weeks of basic training. I know all about this. And uh, But the minute something off in the bushes goes boom, shoo, something whistles past you and explodes and blows off the top of a house behind you, that changes it. <laughs> and it's very different. And you don't, you don't know how you're going to be. Well, it's like, it's, like, it's like when you're a performer. I can tell you as a performer... Uh, there's no way for me to describe to you what it's like to walk out on the stage, let's say, of Carnegie Hall with 2,500 people there waiting for you to sing The Bear Missed the Train. <laughs> and, 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 uh, and then, you know, to, to, to pull it off, I mean, to consummate it, uh, that's, uh, that's another thing. And it goes by in almost an instant. When it's all over, you, you just did it, and uh, you can't you really remember specifics. Now, I've seen other people. You know, I saw one of the worst things I ever saw that way was an actor I know one time walked out on a stage on an opening night. And uh, it was an important role. And this was his first important big break. The guy's been an actor for like 10 years. But he never got that big thing. He walked out on a stage, on the stage. Uh, the, the curtain had gone up. 
And here, here he was, the leading character. He walked out on the stage, and they've been out on the road now for about six weeks with this show. And now they're opening in New York. The poor guy walks out on the stage, and it was fantastic. It was like he was made out of ivory soap. Yeah, okay, fine. I, I, I got work to do, honey. So he walks out. <laughs> he walks out on the stage, and it's like it's like the guy is is made out of ivory soap. He's stunned. And people in the in the wings are saying, "Hey, hey, Mike, hey, Mike, pick up the phone and say uh, who's there." And the phone is going. Ah, ah. The whole opening scene was him walking over and picking up the phone, and the phone just keeps going. Ah, ah. Hey, Mike, pick up, pick up, and he stands there. Down came the curtain. And they rushed out and said, what happened, Mike? And he's standing there with a, with a funny look on his face, and then suddenly he shakes his head. He says, what do you mean, what happened? He said, I'm waiting for my cue. When, when, when's the curtain going up? He says, it's been up for the last ten minutes. You've been standing out in front of the whole crowd. In fact, they're starting to boo. What's going on here? Are you kidding? And so they started it all over again. They raised the curtain. And then, uh, 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 the phone rang. He walks out, picks it up. Oh, yes, who's there? Did a complete and totally fantastic job. And incidentally, to this day, does not remember blacking out. <laughs> he does not remember. And, and when people tell him about this, they say, hey, you know, you really, you walked out on the stage, you were out there for about five minutes, and the people couldn't figure out what was going on with you. He said, oh, come on, don't kid me. Come on, get off my back. And I don't know whether or not to this day he believes that it happened. And so everywhere you go, there's sneaky little things. And you never know what you're going to be like. You know? It's like a skyrocket. A skyrocket that does not have its uh, fuse lit, does not know what it's like to explode at 500 feet. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Bring it up there large, Bill. That's very nice. You mind if I... Uh, Beautifully done. Magnificent performance. You can tell the pros every time, can't you? I mean, you know, really, a pro is, is a pro. That's all there is to it. You never see Bobby Orr getting nervous. You see him miss a shot occasionally. You, you, know, you never see him, you know, having stage fright out there. What do you do with this stick, Chief? No. No, it's the other guys that get a stage fright. That's right. You mean this thing has been on the air? This is a microphone? God, you realize that I'm Mike Shy. This is terrible. If I knew we were on the air... <laughs> Thank you, Bill. Bring it up large. Oh, by the way, uh, I would suggest that uh, since it is uh, the weekend coming up, that uh, you try damn near everything else. Why don't you try... Uh... Why don't you try uh, clean thoughts over the weekend? Maybe that'll make it work. I mean, we have all these little handy hints and kinks. Oh, what the hell? If you can come up with a better suggestion, let's hear it. I wonder what Howard Costell is doing right now. Or Rune Arledge. Is there a Rune Arledge? Nobody could have a name. I guess it's ridiculous. Thank you, crowd. Yeah, this is WOR New York. You stay tuned for Lester Smith and the News.
quack 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 quack